Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Wes Labar of Labar's Guide Service in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. We discuss the history of the Adirondacks, public hunting opportunities, the landscape, and non-resident opportunities. Then we dive into aerial scouting tactics, migratory runways, tactical deer drives, a story of the last day, double mountain bucks, solo hunting strategies, sign making, and much more. This episode is brought to you by the Spartan Forge app, which utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. The new app includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% off the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. And if you go over there and use that code on the website, you'll get a 14-day free trial if you're on the fence about it and you want to try it out. So you can try it out basically for free and see whether you like it or not. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. And speaking of pushing the envelope, they just dropped their new carbon fiber saddle, the Vader platform, at the ATA show and should be available later on this summer. To learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. Maven just launched the CRS-1 and CRS-2, the first rifle scopes in the award-winning C-Series line. So based on the popularity of the C-Series optics and requests from the customers, they developed a completely new lineup of rifle scopes at a lower cost. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full-price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Kip Folks, who is the co-founder of Under Armour, an avid hunter and just an all-around hardworking American. When I heard that he was building a brewery, I was excited to check it out. Since then, I've become friends with Kip and Big Truck Farms has grown into what I would expect. He has been extremely supportive of this podcast and really hunting in general. So it went without saying that Big Truck would make a great partner of the podcast. The Big Truck name and icon promotes the idea of adventure and going past the unknown. They really embrace that mindset of hard work in the outdoor lifestyle on the farm with an earn a beer mentality. They support and host archery shoots, donate to veterans, and make damn good beer. Check out Big Truck Farms at btfbeer.com and visit the farmhouse in Parkton, Maryland. I think I'll be checking it out this weekend, heading down to meet up with Kip, hopefully. So 
I'm uh, excited to get to to go down there and check check it out. So if you're you're in the area and you live in Maryland, you live in Southern Pennsylvania, check out the farm. If not, head over to the website and see where you can get some beer. Go Go Wild has been a partner of the show now for um, I don't know four months or so, but I've been using the app since 2019, and it's been a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. And so that's why we've, why I've partnered with go wild, um, with how much censorship has been going on and go wild is built for outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers, just like you. It's a free social community. And not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on go wild. They give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, inviting friends as you earn points you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards free swag knives huge discounts on brands like garmin and tethered and so much more and if you get to create an account you get ten dollars just for trying it out so visit gowild.com to get started and use the code east meets west to save 10 percent off of all gear including tethered saddle hunting products all right, on today's Mountain Buck Monday episode or story of the week, I guess, um, the story comes from Thomas Macklin and from Virginia. So Thomas said, I headed into the backwoods of the Virginia National Forest on November the 30th, 2017 with my hunting buddy. We planned on hiking and hunting about a six mile loop. About a mile and a half deep, we found an active scrape on an old logging road. We decided to split. My buddy sitting 50 yards or so on the northeast of the scrape, and I went about 50 yards west of the scrape down the logging road. This was rifle season, so we would cheat a little on the wind. I took the downwind side, thinking if one comes in, he'll be sent checking the scrape. My buddy started smashing a rattle bag from his position. I sat for maybe three to four minutes peering down the trail. The old mountain warrior popped up from the side of the trail and gave me about three seconds to shoot. Down he went. So what what an awesome story with uh with being able to have your buddy there and be you know, having that, that group effort in it. And this buck is pretty cool looking deer. You can head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook and check it out. Such an awesome buck to come from the Virginia National Forest, really big woods, rugged mountain country there. So go over, check that out, and submit your story. Easiest way is to send it into my email, bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com, and I would love to share your Mountain Buck Monday story. Uh, in other news, we have uh, two two of my most popular hats are back in stock on eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop. You'll go over in the, the rut hat uh, and also the stealth trucker multi-cam hat. Those two hats just came back into stock and I got a bunch of them. So check, check those out. If you've been waiting, if you were on the wait list, you should have gotten the email. Um, uh, so if, if you didn't, here's a, another heads up that they are back in stock and over on the website. So head over and check those out. And uh, the last thing I wanted to mention here is <clears throat> this, the story that I wrote on my dad's buck stickers that you may or may not have heard on the podcast here. But the written form of that 
is now over on Free Range American, so you can read about it. Check that out. That's just freerangeamerican.us. So if you want to go over and um, take a look at that and just read that version of of the story, you can you can definitely do that. And uh, I, I guess there is something else I should mention. Um, especially for a lot of you Western hunters, Wyoming's tag application is coming up here. So on uh, January 31st for elk, you have to be in if you're putting in for Wyoming. So it's coming up here shortly, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, I was given giving as much update as possible here. Or actually, um, let me see here. Actually, I think I have that wrong. Nope. No, it is. Okay. Yep. It is the 31st. I was looking at the wrong, wrong date here, but yeah. So January 31st, get in for Wyoming elk application deadlines. And, uh, they're starting to roll in here. Arizona is not far behind it with February 8th. So if you're looking to hunt out West, they're starting to plan for some years ahead. Um, it's really important to get over and take a look at some of these these applications and understand it. I mean, I just did that podcast last week with the, or uh, two weeks ago, I guess now with the Eastman's, um, Scott Reekers and, and Ike Eastman. And also I have an article that was on free range American that broke that down as well. So a lot of resources out there. Um, I think now is the time to start thinking about it and applying. All right. So with that being said, I hope that you enjoy this podcast with Wes Labar on hunting the Adirondacks. All right. We're live. Wes Labar, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bo. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I am excited for this one. You are a talented hunter and a a very uh, successful hunter in a a region of of the Appalachian range that I want to explore at some point. That's in the Adirondacks. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a really big uh, compliment there. And um, yeah, uh, it's a crazy place up here. I I have a pretty cool story just because I didn't grow up hunting in a uh, in a family that did did a lot of hunting I, my father didn't hunt my grandfathers didn't hunt my uh my uncles didn't hunt or anything like that so i you know to hear you say oh yeah you're talented or whatever you know it, it makes me feel good i don't feel like i'm that talented yet and i still have a lot to learn but uh <laughs> oh we all do we all do so Tad, tell me a little bit about uh your background kind of where you live at those types of things you know as far as what what that's all about Okay. So, um, like Bo said, my name is, uh, Wesley Labar. I go by Wes. Um, I'm 27 years old. I live in Minerva, New York in the Adirondacks. And, um, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and I lived there. That's where my parents met. I lived there till the age of seven, then moved up here to take over a family business that um, my dad is third generation. He grew up in the Adirondack Park here from when he was seven years old till he graduated high school. And then, you know, like I said, moved back. What do you do as far as for your, for your day job? For my day job, um, I I am uh, a pipe layer. So I work in the construction field. I do construction and um, I'm a pipe fitter. So I put water mains in the ground, water services, um, storm drains, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, every, anything related to road construction 
And, um, you know, they'll, they'll throw me on the asphalt crew from time to time, but my main thing is pipe fitting. So play pipe for a living. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, uh, I travel a lot and, um, but, um, it's a prevailing wage job. So the money's definitely there. And then there's a layoff season around hunting season. So that kind of works out. You know, I, that's, <laughs> it's funny. Cause that's, uh, that's something that I always joke about that. I wish I would have known, um, someone would have t- taught me those types of things in high school. And it's like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Find a job where you can get off during hunting season, yeah. <laughs> you know, or do something good, work for yourself. And you can, you know, a couple of my buddies that I hunt with, they, they work for themselves so they can take time off when they want to, you know, and of course they bury themselves with work, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying it, 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 uh, I planned this from the start cause I definitely didn't, but I happened to get myself into a career field where, you know, there is a layoff season. And as I work my way up the ladder, I'm sure they'll, they'll be keeping me on more or whatever. And it won't always be like these last couple of years, but yep. So that's what I do. I live up here in the Adirondacks. It's a, uh, it's a pretty cool place. It's really, really rural. Um, not a lot of, you know, anything. I live in a town of 900 people and it's 70% senior citizens. So it's real, real remote area. Like I was telling Bo right before the podcast started, I, I back up to just like right out my door behind my house to 32,000 acres of state land and there's big pockets of state land all over. So it's a really remote place, but I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I guess when people think of New York, um, most people think of, you know, New York city and that type of stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as a hunter, uh, New York's got a lot to offer. I experienced New York for the first time uh, this year, just a little bit. I've only been up there twice now. I went up there, um, in archery season. Then I was just up there this past weekend, um, with the bow again, late season and just kind of mostly scouting around and everything. But I, I really, I, but I have not been in the Adirondacks. I've never even visited there before. So that's why I was super interested in talking to you about it. And that area is just, is as before we started recording, you were kind of saying, it's, you know, kind of a, a best kept secret sort of, you know, just beautiful scenery, remote. You can do just about anything for someone that loves the outdoors. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very remote. And, and like you said, I, I grew up telling people, Oh yeah, I'm from the, uh, New York. Oh, the city has the city. It's like, no, the Adirondack park. And they're like, the Adirondack park. I mean, it's the largest state park in the United States. And it's like, it's larger. I was reading one time. It's like larger than Yellowstone and a bunch of those other parks out in uh, the Western United States combined. It's it's 6 million acres, 2.6 million acres of it is state land. So that's, that's, you know, access to hunting, fishing, hiking, boating, you know, and the other 3.4 million of it is, uh, is um, private. But I mean, you're talking so many opportunities up here for an outdoorsman and a sportsman. It's, it's cool. Yeah, and um, and you were talking to me a little bit when you were texting me about the the history of the Adirondacks, and and you had some interesting information on that as far as you know what you know how that kind of came to be as far as the Adirondacks as a whole, and you know, and then also the the culture of hunting that's there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the Adirondacks was created, I guess, officially they say in eighteen ninety two. 
it makes up 9,300 square miles, which is a fifth of New York state. They say it's like about the size of Vermont. So it was most popular. They say the Iroquois and the Algonquins were here. There's some people that will dispute that um, Native Americans ever lived here, but they definitely, you know, did. And there's hard evidence of them using it as seasonal hunting grounds. That's something that they preserved for themselves to come up here and hunt with. But um, that was before the European settlement. And then once the European settlement came in, um, you know, early 1800s, that's when the logging became big, you know, early 1800s, like 1803. And then it really took off in the 1820s. And um, they said there was a good amount of deer up here before, like not a good, I guess I shouldn't say good amount because they said like one to three deer per square mile before they came up here and logged it. And then after they logged it, there was eight to 20 deer per square mile. And they almost, the population of the deer, when they logged it to the point to where there was like overpopulation. So um, that, that was really crazy. But the, the, you know, like I was saying, they came up here, people settled here for logging in the early 1800s. And then, um, you know, from there, there became people came up here hunting and then they brought up, started realizing how good it was for hunting so then they came up and started like guiding on the land and that created a lot of conflict between the locals who were logging and made their living there and then people hunting and guiding there which was uh you know kind of created a, a conflict at the time but it was something that they had to deal with and then obviously the native americans didn't like it when the europeans came and settled there but so when you say guiding they were guiding for hunting for hunting yeah really? yeah some of the first guiding period in the united states of america from the history that I've read started in the Adirondacks, which is pretty cool. Really? You know, and yeah, the guides back in the day, they almost used to be able to guarantee you a deer. They, I've read stories up at the Blue Mountain, at the Adirondack Museum in Blue Mountain Lake where the guides, they would drive these deer into the water and then the guides would paddle up on them and hold their tail so their client could kill the deer and the, so they could basically guarantee the success, which is pretty crazy. That is crazy. Uh, yeah, I know. It was wild. So is there still uh, much logging that goes on up there? There is, there is, but um, the APA and other, you know, park agencies came in and really put the whole to, to the whole, uh, you know, now there isn't any logging on state land. They don't allow that anymore, which, you know, for, you know, guys like you and us is unfortunate, you know, and to a lot of people, but um, because there is, you know, a huge impact and logging on all different species and wildlife and mammals and stuff like that. But um, uh, people that own private land, they do get it logged off because they realize the importance of it. But um, that's what also makes hunting up here hard in the Adirondacks is that because they, they there isn't the logging that there was back in the day, the forests are all mature. And so there's just not a ton of food between everything that eats, you know, what a deer eats, you know, the turkeys and all the other, you know, mammals out there. So yeah, it's not, not as much browse. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, no. from that standpoint. Yeah. You can go on a lake, um, in the springtime fishing and sit on a boat in any lake in the Adirondacks and look around at the edge and you can see the browse line perfectly. Really? Just like someone went, away, went around with clippers and clipped it perfectly. That's just because by the end of the spring, they're eating bark off the trees. It's really unfortunate, but explain a little bit about the the terrain and stuff of of the adirondacks what does that kind of look like 
Okay. So the train is actually pretty sweet. It, and it's one of the reasons why I love hunting the Adirondacks because, because of the logging and the way they went about things, there's so many of these edges that deer hunters like us like to hunt, you know, so mixes between mature pine and oaks and just like those thick conifer, spruce, hemlock stands, and then switches back over to beach, like big beach cuts that are only, you know, 20 to 40 years old. So you got all these, <clears throat> you know, five inch around beaches to, you know, 12 inch around. And there's just a, a real big, like, there's so much inconsistency to the land up here. I mean, yeah, obviously it's mountainous and everything, and there's rises and falls and beautiful guts and valleys and saddles but um as far as like the trees like it's always changing like when i go for a hunt and i'll be like hunting up in an area you know one minute i might for an hour i might be still hunting through some wide open oaks or i can shoot two to three hundred yards of areas and then i'll come up over the mountain and i'm in beach whips that i can shoot only 10 to 20 yards you know but it just provides this dynamite habitat for mature deer and deer like you know in general to survive in you know but like i said there's that competition for food and that's why there's only they say and i I believe it's true from my experience being out there that there's about only seven to eight deer per square mile in the adirondacks but there's there's areas that you get into that brings them together and there you know there's you know easily 20 deer per square mile in some areas you know some you know because there's days we go out in late season and see 20 30 deer in a day really Oh, that's oh, absolutely. One of the hunts that, you know, I don't know if I'll get in time to tell the story, but those two really big bucks that we shot the on a hunt uh, Sunday, which would be the last day of rifle season, we saw um, 25 deer in that hunt between the six of us. And that's just kind of, we were all in our spots sitting there, you know, counting deer going in different direction. So, yeah. Well, let's, we'll, we'll come back to that story. Cause I do want to, I do want to hear about that and have you, there's a lot of, I, I think a lot of learning things you can pull from stories and I like, I like hearing them personally. So, yeah. um, but what I wanted to, to, to kind of transition to a little bit, you know, with that terrain and the, the Adirondacks, it has a, a decent amount of elevation too. Like as far as how, if you were to guess, or maybe, you know, you know, from like the Valley floor up to the top, how much, how much feet and uh, elevation change does that typically have? Like, do you have, you know, is it a thousand feet? Is it more than that? What does that kind of look like? Um, so from like Valley floors where I hunt and, um, I mean all over, but I hunt like near the Hudson and the Hudson sits around up where I live, um, around like a thousand to uh, twelve hundred feet and mountains some of them like a lot of the mountains that i hunt around it are twenty two thousand twenty one to twenty six eight you know so but um as you head towards the high peaks region the valley floors so you know those valley floors i guess you're talking thousand feet eight eight hundred to a thousand feet in elevation changes is uh pretty typical yeah, and and it seems to at least from what I've looked at on the maps, it seems to be like there's a bunch of different spurs and ridges that come off of the main ridges, and which is from a deer hunter that likes to hunt topography. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, you could sit there and it's almost like you know it's almost like you're at the beach and you're 
you're just seeing all these good looking ladies. You're like, Oh my gosh, I don't know which one to look at. There's so many good spots to hunt. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> That's funny. And um, so what about, so if, if, you know, if people were to go up there to hunt or yourself, I mean, do you typically, because it's so close to your house, do you typically stay like at your, at your own place or do you go out and you camp? Um, do you have a cabin or, or how does that work? So, um, I've always loved to do a, uh, a drop camp and, um, I'm going to one day, I see myself doing that in the future and as a part of my guiding business, because there's a big draw to that whole aspect of your backwoods experience, you know, is drop camps and all, but to answer your question, no, I, I stay at my house and do all my hunting. If I got to get up at three in the morning to get to a spot I want to be to, I will, but, um, I hunt you know, I get up early and hunt within anywhere within an hour from my house. I have areas that I pick in the beginning of the season that I want to focus my attention on based off of food that I'll go and scout out in the early season. And I'll focus my attention in those areas. And then I will dedicate myself and challenge myself to go to two or three, sometimes four different spots. Um, that are new every year to just try and light a fire in a new spot. And maybe I see some good buck sign and I'm like, oh gosh, I got to focus some attention in here. But there's areas that I hunt that, um, you know, that are oaks and there's not a lot of oaks in the Adirondacks. So when I do find them, I I try and capitalize on them as best I can. And there's times that I hunt down this one area where I'll have my cameras out in August, September and October and um i'll get a picture of just like maybe four or five bucks in a span of you know two and a half months you know sometimes and then there's different years where there's food in there and i'll get 15 bucks on cameras in two weeks different bucks 15 different bucks on camera in two weeks and and you know over i'm talking you know a mile and a half square area or whatever so but still i mean i you know so to answer your question i kind of just you know pick different areas where i think i'm gonna have some good luck with the with the bucks and then challenge myself to find new areas each year and then um as the season goes on it's just when the whole adirondack woods become unpredictable or um yeah like unpredictable on what kind of deer you're gonna you know see because they come crawling out of the mountains and um that's when we have a lot of our success up here is, is late season because you never know what you're going to see. So if you were if you were coming from like say coming from Pennsylvania like I am or somebody else from a different state or yep. is there is there options like can you is there you know campgrounds is there can you remote camp can you backpack in and set up camp what do they have any rules or anything around that that Absolutely. So what New York State is really great for is they they take care of the trail systems. They have tons of places to camp. Um, their website is actually really informative on that. The New York State DEC uh, website, you can look up all the campsites for any lake and area. I'm pretty sure, I'm not going to say definite, but I'm pretty sure they'll have every campsite listed on every pond, lake, and stream in the Adirondacks that they have out there because they're really good about that. That's definitely one thing I can salute the state of New York for doing. So as far as opportunities, absolutely. And I encourage people to do that because, you know, it's just 
kind of badass, you know, to come up, go backwards hunting like that. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's basically like, you know, like you, you could get the, the same experience that you would on a Western hunt, but you know, in the Appalachian, yeah. And then in the Adirondacks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just as rugged. It's just as hard. It's just as challenging. You know, people, I think, you know, I've said this and I've heard this for a long, long time, but, um, I mean, I'm not dead set on it, but people say that the, the Adirondacks is arguably the hardest place to hunt deer just because of the terrain and how thick it is and, you know, the makeup of the land and stuff like that. But, um, it's really cool. I think that's why a lot of guys like you and I love it because it's very, very challenging, you know? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of roadless areas too, right? Throughout the whole thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of old dirt roads. It'll take you like miles in the woods where you can, you can just pop a camp up and whatever, you know, sometimes there's designated uh, campsites, but then also you can get a hold of your local DEC officer. Like say you are someone from out of state or in state that wants to um, do a drop camp. You can get um, month long permits or two month long permits um, in the early season to put a camp up in that location. You just have to tell them where you're going to do it. And most likely that DEC officers, a DEC officer is going to come and check on you. But um, I think that's pretty cool, too, because you can leave a camp and a tent up there. People, there's roads up just up the road for me. There's dirt roads where people leave a tent right off the sides of a side of a dirt road all year long just so they can come up from the city and have a place to kind of camp out and whatever. So, I mean, definitely a lot of opportunities for, you know, to be able to stay up here. I mean, which is kind of cool because there's not a lot of hotels or anything, you know. So <laughs> yeah. once you kind of head past my house, you're really heading into the middle of nowhere. So yeah, that's that's so awesome that that you you have that ability to be able to do that and find those types of you know remote places uh, to be able to go into and and you know from buying my my hunting license this year for New York non-resident it really wasn't that bad as far as the cost compared to you know a lot of the other states that that I've been to and hunted I mean I I should have the numbers in front of me maybe you know but I, th- I want to say it was like $130 is really what I yeah see that's um that's funny because uh, it's funny you asked me because I was just about to ask you if you remembered because um, I'm going, we go to Arkansas every year. My mom's from Arkansas. And so I do a little deer hunting down there. I buy a, a three-day license and you can shoot a buck or a doe or two does or two bucks. And um, it's 130 bucks. But um, I'm going to Ohio for late season muzzleloader. Actually, I've been planning this trip for the last couple of weeks for my bachelor party. I'm getting married in June. So we're going, um, me and the boys are heading out to Ohio for the 8th, the 11th. Yeah, that's fun. That's going to be fun. I'm super stoked. And, um, that license is around $300. So that's, I mean, that's steeper, but I, like I said, the only out of state license I've ever bought was like Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, maybe. And, and, um, Ohio now. So. Yeah, Ohio used to be like 150 to 160 bucks when I first started buying it. And now it yeah. just keeps climbing. Incredible. Yeah. Like I yeah, yeah, and that was not that long ago. I mean, I started hunting Ohio in 2014, so it wasn't like that that long ago and yeah. the prices have just jumped up, but so I looked up the I do have the numbers in front of me now. So the non-resident license is $100, but then for a bow hunting privilege, you got an extra $30. And if yeah. you want a muzzleloading 
privilege. It's another $30, but yeah. it's pretty reasonable to be able to do that yeah. and to be able to get, depending on the area you're, you're hunting, but, um, mm-hmm. you, two buck tags, essentially. I just, I don't know yeah. if that, that's the same in the Adirondacks or not. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Is that what you get? Is that what this? Is that what they're saying? Yeah, huh. I, I, yeah. I was able to get an either sex bow and muzzleloader tag, and then a regular yep. deer tag. Um, that buck that only. yeah, that was buck only. Yep, except yep, for that's exactly what we get. So except for if you use it in the, I, I can use that buck only tag now in the late season for a doe. I was actually reading it because it was hmm. kind of confusing, and so really? I was going through the whole chart and trying to figure that out. And there was there was a an exception that said that you could use that tag for no, nobody uh make sure you read it yourself um i'm not planning on shooting a doe up there this year just and but uh make sure you read it yourself because it is kind of confusing but that's what i had gathered from it oh really yeah so that's yeah that's it's it's kind of interesting but yeah that's neat see i didn't know that but that's definitely encouraging i mean i guess we spend a lot more money on different hunting gear and stuff like that. So all in all, it's really not too bad for out of state. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, um, so when, when you're, as you know, as I'm looking at, you know, as I've looked at photos and maps and stuff of the Adirondacks, there's a lot like with, the, with the differences, it looks like there's some areas that have, you know, higher, almost like peaks. It looks like almost like Western mountains. And then there's kind of like the finger ridges that run off of them and go in a different direction. How are you, when you're looking at like an aerial map, how are you kind of picking areas that jump out to you as uh, something that you should focus on? What's kind of your, your e-scouting strategy? E-scouting strategy. Yeah, that's a really good question. I hope I don't get too far off on different tangents but because um, <laughs> I'm known for it. So, you know, maybe when you were looking at um, that map, when you saw those real big mountains that were like, you know, you could see rock faces on them. So that was probably the high peaks region. If I were to, if I were to guess, and then coming off the high peaks region, you have those huge mountains that are big, long fingers, 
you know, that's still like just, you know, part of the high peaks region. But then when you get down towards me, they're more you know, kind of like dome shaped, not too aggressive, you know, only thousand foot elevation changes. And I've yet to hunt the high peaks region and I, and I'm, and I will someday. And I, and I want to get good at hunting up there, but I work with a lot of people that hunt the high peaks region and they definitely don't see deer. Like I see deer down by me. They, they say up there, they'll find a, a good buck every three to five miles up there of like hunting. And these guys are good hunters and, you know, but that's a lot of, you know, like I can go do three to five miles right now, walking out my door and, and see several small bucks and maybe, a, you know, maybe like two or three small bucks and one big buck within five miles. But you know, up there, they, they, they are like real, real remote. So by me, when I'm looking for train, um, I'm looking for South facing slopes. I really like those because I think a lot of deer feel, um, comfortable there. It's cold up here. You know, we're up in the mountains. I think the deer like bedding there. And I feel like they definitely keep a big, steep South facing slope within their area a lot because um you know like i was saying it just feels like home to them they like they like them you know it's cold and i've just found a lot of deer sign on there also i find a lot of my oak trees there which is where i like to hunt and capitalize on good food sources uh oak trees the beaches do better when they're on the south facing slopes and beech nuts is another huge food source so my south facing slopes I like, um, obviously hunting saddles early season, um, for sits for cruising bucks fingers. If I'm going into an area that maybe I haven't hunted before and I see a big finger, maybe facing South facing slope, maybe not, I'll definitely go and check it out. Um, a lot of the times when I'm looking at e-scouting and I'm looking, um, on the satellite, and from a distance, you know, maybe from a road looking up on a mountain, when I see, and it's, and it's common in the Adirondacks, when I see a lot of pine and hemlock on top of a mountain, and when it starts to tip off of that upper one third that we talk about into a mixture of open hardwoods, I like to go definitely check that out too, because you'll see a lot of buck movement around that. I mean, and that's, you know, that's the same in a lot of different areas, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I like my edges, my fingers, um, saddles. I like hunting up higher than normally than what people would do. I hunt, um, up pretty high. Um, even if there's, um, as far as high in the tree, you mean high up on the hill, like up on the mountain, you know, like really that upper one third, like, you know, we talk about. So, um, I like going up there and, and, and you'll hear that, but so yeah it's uh and like you were you were seeing earlier the the adirondacks is filled with so many of these little areas it's it's sometimes hard to explain you know to to someone that maybe doesn't know but like you know when you see an area on a map and you're like you you can just look at it and there's like maybe there's one of those figure eights with a pinch point and then you got a little bit of a nice south facing slope at the end of a finger and you're just like ooh. You know, the Adirondacks is filled with a bunch of those. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, and, and I have a map pulled up on my other screen right now as I'm looking at it, as I'm talking to you here. And, and it, yeah. it, it sounds very similar to what you're looking for, to what, like, you know, say I would look for in Pennsylvania. And 
the big woods. You're looking for diversity and you're looking where some of that terrain makes it favorable for the the deer to move and kind of the pinch movement together. Absolutely. And another thing that I don't know if it's something that you guys notice um, in Pennsylvania, but a lot of the deer yard here. And what I mean by that is that they, they come out of the mountains and they, they head towards towns where there's, where there's people that have bird feeders and feed the deer and stuff like that. And, um, we, I know of, and, and seen and have hunted a lot of, uh, migratory runways. I, I don't know if you've ever familiar with those. No. They're, they're runways, but they're a different type of runway. When, if you, if you know the area and how they, how, you know, deer funnel all these migratory runways, and I told you how deer funneled and you went in there and you saw this runway, you would automatically know it's a migratory runway. I know guys in the, in the Adirondacks who set trail cameras up on these migratory runways in certain times of the year, like around this time, for a month-long period, and they'll get 500 pictures of deer on this migratory runway, all heading in one direction, not one deer heading back up this way. So we haunt a lot, a lot of those migratory runways. I think, I think the reason why we have success on them is bucks that are young of age that are born way up in the mountains, they, they migrate down. They may come down into town and be like, wow, there's a lot of does in here. Wow, there's a lot of deer in here. And then when they become two and three years of age, they remember that and they cruise down those same runways and head into those same areas that they saw a lot of deer. And the town that I live in is a deer yard. There's, you can go around town right now late at night and you can probably count on certain nights over a hundred deer just in different fields all around the town. Say you took a drive. So that's another strategy. I hunt these migratory runways because these deers have to migrate. These deer have to migrate to survive and, and they depend on humans in ways. Yeah, is that is that because the weather pushes them out of the mountains? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the snow, um, <clears throat> the snow gets so deep. I mean, <clears throat> I remember we got a snowstorm two years ago, early November, November like seventh. It was two, uh, twenty four inches, two feet, and we were uh, there was like a hunt my buddy and I did behind my house. We we had twenty seven deer ran by him one time. <laughs> Out of these one, one, just one little 90 acre piece, you know, next to my house. So, so when you say migratory runway, is that like, is it basically like one trail that the deer going, that are moving down or can it be, you know, a square mile or like a mile wide area? What, what do those, what do those look like? Like if you were to, can you look at a map and say, this is a migratory runway or how do you know? It's, it's essentially is because, um, the deer are heading towards town because they have to head towards, you know, where they can depend, depend on humans. And then you basically take, you know, heading from a town like where I live in and you're heading out into these big areas of woods. You can kind of look at the way the map, uh, the train is and like maybe along a big river like the Hudson and that funnels those deer down through there. And then plus, like I said, I, I know guys that I hunt with that have put cameras up on these runways um, around the outskirts of the town I live in, in different areas. And, um, you know, the deer are all heading in one direction over a month long period. So um, it's basically, you know, the train that funnels them 
they're heading towards humans because that's what they're depending on. And then the camera, the data that we've got, you know, shows all these deer heading, you know, in one direction. So, and, and they've done that for a long time. Like, I mean, you know, over a hundred years or more since people have been settling up here and, you know, stuff like that. There's always been deer yards in certain areas you'll hear about. And I think different types of forests attract deer too. like, you know, they head towards all, you know, big hemlock patches and stuff like that where they can feed. Yeah. on brows and stuff have the cover and everything from that and then thermal also cover. another thing that you know i didn't just think of till now is that all of the logging in the adirondacks is private land and and people that own land that are getting it logged you know live closer to town so they're coming to those cuts you know what i mean yeah so that definitely is what keeps a lot of deer around town so yeah and what would what would make them i wonder what makes them go back up into the mountains you know i it it's uh it makes you wonder you know what i mean as i guess if i was a buck i get it you know what i mean he's going up there for protection he's away from anyone he doesn't have to worry about anybody he knows where he can come down and see some does when he wants to and that's why you know i feel like some of these bucks are so hard to kill sometimes is just because you know they can come out and get what they want when they want to (laughs) but i guess that's anywhere you know yeah is it is it all all right so can you break down kind of the different seasons that you have? Because I know that northern zone, as they call it in New York, is different than other areas as far as, you know, archery season versus different gun seasons and how that kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. That's why I like New York states, because we have a really long season and definitely a long gun season. So September 27th, every year. Um, is the beginning of early bow season and that runs like 10 consecutive days till the end of the next weekend let's see so it's September 7th yeah it opens on the 27th no matter when that starts so it's like a 10 day long season and then it ends on a Friday and then for a week after bow season is a week of muzzleloader season for exactly seven days so it ends that friday and then from there opens our rifle season and that goes to the first weekend in december so we have like a five six week long rifle season okay so is your rifle season in november then it is it it starts the last saturday in october okay so it's right in the prime rut you get rifle yeah 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 oh that's that's pretty sweet yeah yeah, it's it's yeah, I mean it's nice. I mean, I've I've yet to get to where I'm so confident as a hunter that I'm just going to hunt with a bow from here on out. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of like you know, just kind of look at it like Lanny Benoit and Hal Blood where it's just like, you know, what? I like my rifle, I'm used to my rifle, you know. It's big woods and I get just as tickled of shooting a buck, you know, than you know, so I, I shot deer with a, a bow before, but, um, and I will, I am going to challenge myself to seek for those five and six year old deer with the Adirond- you know, in the Adirondacks with a bow one day. I just haven't got good enough yet. I don't like yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's, It's already, it's already hard enough, um, from that yeah, standpoint. Exactly. I'm not as good as like you and your dad, where you guys are killing these monsters in the big woods all the time. But well, no, just I'll just, just remember someday. though that our our seasons are different though too. So we have like it is bow season during 
the rut where you guys are already into a rifle season at that st- that standpoint. So you're if you're carrying a bow out there while everybody else has a gun, that's uh you're at a little yeah, bit of a like, disadvantage. Exactly. It's like what's the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and in the rut up here, I um I have a interesting thought on all that. Um I feel like and and people have told me that this is true and maybe this is just a personal opinion and you know, I've shared this a lot with people, but we've, since I've hunted deer up here, I've never seen a consistent, um, rut pattern in the deer. And I don't know what, what dis like, uh, what dictates the rut coming sooner or later. But for instance, last year, 2020, my friend, Austin Williams, um, I'm sure you saw a picture of the buck. He shot a 151 inch it was aged at eight and a half or nine and a half years old by the taxidermist, 151 inch, just monarch of a buck chasing a doe, broad daylight, 415 in the afternoon in the middle of wide open oaks, October 30th. And he was on a hot, mature three, four, five year old doe. And then this year, the rut didn't get crazy until the 20th of November. And so there's never been what I'm getting at. There's never been a real consistency in the Adirondacks where I've seen like, okay, when I go in the woods on November 8th through the 10th, this is when I see the most bucks. Like sometimes it's the 30th and the 31st of October. Sometimes it's not until um, the 20th of November and into the late season. And I've heard this before. And like I said, I think some of it is, is that there's so few deer in the Adirondacks and so few mature bucks to breed those does. These does get in a vicious cycle of these bucks aren't breeding them until January, late December, January. So these does are having their fawns later in the, in the spring. So then when that doe comes into heat, she's coming into heat later. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she's going to come into heat later. So it's just this vicious cycle. And also it's terrible because it's also what, creates a lot of decline in the deer population because the does are are getting born so late in the in the spring that they go into winter it's two and a half feet of snow and that doe is only 60 pounds still like she's still a small deer because she was born so late so then she dies because she can't make it so i you know when i hunt down in arkansas the rut comes every single time every single year right on the dot all the time and it's consistent in the midwest i don't care what anyone says it's not consistent up here i've seen blood from a doe's urine in the snow mid-october and i've seen it walking around in january you know so it's 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 not i just i think that's something that you know maybe makes it more challenging to hunting up here yeah maybe not but it's definitely something that i've noticed in my 20 years of hunting up here so yeah, definitely. That's that's an interesting observation that that you guys have there, and and I'm no biologist, but it makes sense in my <laughs> from what yeah, you're explaining. I honestly it. don't know like um, what makes a doe come into heat at a certain time. You know, I, I imagine you know weather and time of year obviously have to do something with it, but you know, I definitely don't think it, this Adirondacks is one of the places where it's like, oh, all the does are in heat. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, which I think is actually it kind of benefits us because it keeps these bucks searching and searching and searching. But in the last four years, I've killed a buck that was three of them were four years old and one of them was five years old. And they none of them weighed one of them weighed 165 pounds 
but the two bucks we shot this uh this year they were both mature bucks they got it out at 148 okay so these deer literally what i'm getting at is these deer literally run themselves to death there was a buck that was found in scroon lake it scored over 140 inches there was not a bullet hole in it it was found dead the last day of muzzleloader season and they think that it just ran itself to death because literally they're just searching for does around here and there's just miles of vast land for them to to go up you know forever and ever and ever and then plus the never-ending rut of does coming into heat and they just yeah well yeah and and and, I, and again i could Someone may correct me on, you know, with typically with the rut when does come to heat has to do with the the decrease in the photo and the time of year, and that depends on where you're at in the in the country. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have such low deer populations like that, and there's not enough buck feed all the does, then they'll keep coming back into estrus, and then that's like what you're saying is you run into that issue, and actually had. I want taxidermists explain this to me too, with like even different areas in Pennsylvania, how they were different. Like where, where I'm at, the, the buck to doe ratio is actually population isn't good, but the buck to doe ratio is good. Typically the does are getting bred, um, for the most part in the first rut, you know, and there's not, yep. not as many, except for some of the younger ones that are coming in later where areas that don't have a really good buck to doe ratio or does to bucks from that standpoint that they can't, they can't get to them all. And especially when they're after searching for them, when there's not that many to begin with from like where where, where you're at there. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And again, I'm, I'm no biologist there, but just uh, putting together kind of pieces and making my own, um, making my own thoughts and opinions on it. But that's, uh, that's, that's interesting with, with that, what, what are some of the typical, you know, hunting strategies or things that you like to do um, from from that standpoint? You know, you know, talking about sitting in a stand or tracking or still hunting drives, like all those types of things. What what are some of the ones that you feel like are the 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 ones that give your odds of success the most? So um, that's a good question, and I was waiting for it. Um, <laughs> there. Uh, um a lot of people like you hear of the whole deer drive that was like definitely a culture of hunting back in the day the native americans in the adirondacks actually used to fall trees and um stack brush and funnel deer off mountains to make them run into water and run into um like areas where a bunch of indians were with with bows so they could kill them so like the the whole uh strategy of like doing deer drives has, has been around since like you know for forever which i think is pretty badass you know because it's get, it's fun getting together with some friends you know and doing some deer drives and stuff but um as far as like my strategy i i don't like calling what i do deer drives and you'll hear a lot of people say this say this these days because deer drives has has become has made a bad name for itself like when I think of a deer drive, there's these people that hunt near us and I'm not going to say their last name, but nobody really likes them. They shoot deer does during rifle season. They're just an outlaw family. There's been rumors like I've heard guys, they bring trumpets in the woods, you know, and to like to move these deer and just make a scene, you know what I mean? And yell and hoot and holler. 
Um, as far as like my strategy, I call them hunts. I will position, you know, say I'm hunting with friends, maybe with clients in an area on a mountain that maybe wouldn't make sense to them. And then I'll go up and, you know, try to make a loop to them. But the way I approach where I think a buck might be, I put them in a, in a, a spot, you know, set up with the wind in a certain location coming across in which I think the buck is going to loop down into their area. I don't always just, you stay here, I'm going to go way out around you and just zigzag and scare everything to you. Like there's areas where big mature bucks run and, and head to, and they'll head for different notches and different bluffs and different swamps and different places where they can hide, where I'll set up my clients, you know, say I'm going to do that type of, you know, hunt, you know, or some people might call it a drive, which, you know, like I'm saying, I'm not calling it a drive, but, um, I'll position them where I think that mature deer is going to come through. If, if it's a group of me and my friends, yeah, we'll spread out in a line in a good area of, you know, some of us will be up by bedding. Some of us will be in the food. Some of us will be down on some transitional runways. We'll sit for, you know, like how we killed those big bucks the last weekend. We sat for four hours. Um, three of us sat in food. One of us sat in a transition between food and bed. And the other one sat on just a, um, a runway. And we all saw deer doing what they do feeding and moving and then um when my one friend didn't get a shot at that really big buck it ended up coming out to one of our other friends which is you know the way we plan our hunt because we go into the woods to get something on the ground we all want to learn we all want to you know you know have success and we want to kill big bucks but we position ourselves to make that happen you know and with it being so thick up here sometimes you don't get a shot so you know Someone listening to this might call it a drive or whatever, but no, we strategically set ourselves up to for success. I sit for a while and then two of our buddies will go out and hunt their way back to the, you know, to the watch line or where our guys are sitting. And, you know, I always like being the quote unquote driver because I'd rather see the buck before you do, because I might get a shot at him, you know? So like I'm driving, you know what I mean? And I like to be in the guy on my, um, on my feet and, um, and a lot of uh, how we got good at, you know, setting people out and putting people in good areas is like I was saying when we were texting is, you know, I'm, I obviously have a guide service for those that, um, I don't know, maybe we didn't mention that or not, but I do have a guide service up here in the Adirondacks. I'm a licensed guide and um, I've done it for four years and um, the last three years I've done it on my own. And, um, I will put my clients out in different areas and, you know, hopefully none of them get offended for doing this, but a lot of it, you know, is, is learning deer as a deer hunter, but they're kind of like my, um, my, uh, my guys I use for scouting. I'll put them out. I'll go try to work a mountain back towards their area. And then maybe I bump the buck or whatever. And I'm like, you know, use them like, okay, what did you see for deer? Where did he come from? Which way did he move? You know, did he head through here? Oh yeah, this person. Oh, I saw a deer. They, you know, two does came from this direction, and then also a spike came to from this direction. But oh, the big bucks came from this direction, you know. And just having people out there in the woods, you know, guiding them, 
um, is kind of like live eyes in the woods, you know, like we use for cameras and stuff like that. So it's, it's been a strategy that I've used as my clients out there. And, you know, I've had a lot of success with my clients. I've, I've had a lot of clients shoot some nice bucks and, um, rarely do I have anybody that comes and hunts with me. This is just like, I had an awful time. I mean, I, I, I can't remember maybe one or two people that just, you know, the big woods style of hunting and getting up real early and hiking in a mile and a half to sit in 20 degree weather for three or four hours before I get to you isn't always someone's idea of like an, a dream hunt, but <laughs> yeah. you know, no, and, uh, and a lot of people love the experience because the, the Adirondacks is beautiful. And if you can just take it in for what it is, you know, and just enjoy the scenery, then you'll always have a good time. But I think that's anywhere. Hunting. Yeah. But I, I think you know, what you were saying about like, you know, taking that information that you learn from the clients and stuff. I mean, that's just smart. That's just smart hunting is being able to yeah. gather that intel and utilize that okay. for future, you know, future uh, occasions and just continually making one your clients' experiences better and your own and just learning Absolutely. that, you know, constantly. And, yeah. and I don't want people to think that I'm using them as like puppets in a bad way, but like I always put my clients in the best spot for success. You know what I mean? But, you know, as hunters, I think anybody, you know, like you and I both, we go into the woods and we're always constantly thinking about deer hunting and whitetail hunting. And we come up with these theories in our mind and we go out there to prove or disprove them or say, Hey, I was kind of right, but this is what was really going on. You know what I mean? So, you know, kind of using, you know, that in the same, you know, scenarios. Yeah, no, I, I understood what you meant. I was just, uh, yeah. just helping with the clarifying it there. And, and with deer drives, like that's something that, is that was something that still is you know big in my family during gun seasons like that's just a tradition to do yeah. that and sometimes we'll have it where it's more of a traditional drive where you have you know maybe you know three sitters and four people that are they're pushing and you, you set people up and you go through some of these clear cuts or these thickets or whatever it would be and then and but they're all they're all not you know they're all very tactically thought out and used oh, from absolutely. history doing these types of drives or, or like in, in 2020 when, when I'd killed uh, my biggest rifle buck, that was a, a one man kind of, I guess you call it a drive where my dad came across this mountain based off the way the wind was and where we yep. thought, you know, thought the deer could be betting at the buck and came around and just basically wind bumped it. And then, you know, we had to be set up in the right spots that were spots that the deer would feel safe exiting exiting yeah. his, you know, bedroom and to, to go out. He wasn't going to, you know, just go across this wide open woods, but there's this little transition that was like a, a bench you couldn't even see on a map essentially, but just kept him covered enough that he'd slide out that. And that's what ended up happening. And it's, it's a very, very useful way. And, and for people that, that don't hunt uh, the, the big woods or anything, it's, it's not like going and driving out a woodlot like in no. in farm country like this is so no. this is very different it's a very yeah. it's still um very difficult way of being able to do that and and it's a it's a it's a great tactic that's legal and i i, I have respect for people that can figure it out and hey, there's obviously those that give it a bad name like you said there's yeah there's those out there and just don't be those yeah. guys <laughs> yeah who yeah when you think of the guys that drive deer you think of the guys that shoot spike horns on opening day and that's like that's not us. You know what I mean? 
And a lot of the times when we do that type of hunting where we set up a bunch of guys and then a couple guys still hunt, that's when it's me and the boys, you know, my, my day ones, my big, you know, big woods, big buck hunter dudes. Or it's like when I have a group of clients, it's just like a lot of guys. And usually when I have a lot of guys in one group, you know, they're a bunch of beer drinking, deer hunting, ready to lay lead guys. So it's like, all right, let's, you know, do some drive, drive type style huntings. But if that's not what they wanted to do, then they wanted to sit and then I'll get them sitting. But like a lot of times when it's just um, a client, maybe one or just a couple or father, son, we'll do a lot of sitting. Um, I've rarely, I've had some guys say, Hey, I just want to follow you through the woods. And it's like, all right. I mean, if you're in a pay me to do that we'll do some still hunting you know if you want to just when you see me get down on one knee if i point like you know look maybe there's a big deer or something you know um i've had people come up and want to um learn to do some tracking and stuff like that which is fine but when i book a hunt with clients i i ask them what they're looking for and and what they want to do and um because i want to cater to their needs and their wants and i want to satisfy them and i want to give them the experience that they want to I mean, a lot of the time they say, Hey, you're the professional. What do you want? What do you think is the best, you know, strategy? And then we'll go from there. You know what I mean? But the woods are big and you got to be fit and you got to be able to, you know, the deeper you go, the more success you have. And and that's, you know, so it's, it's not for everyone, but I try to do my best for my clients to, you know, suit the fit to what they, you know, what they want and what they need and what they're looking for. So I think it'd be a good time to hear that story of the, the two bucks there that, that you guys had shot. And, and, uh, I, you've alluded to it a couple times here and I'm ready for the story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so it's actually, it's a, it's a weekend long story. We, we got in there Saturday. I never, it's one of my hot spots, but I've never hunted that spot. Um, um, the last weekend of season, I'm usually, so when is the last weekend of season to give a date to it? It's the first weekend in December. It's always the first weekend of December, no matter what date that falls on. Like sometimes it's our season's longer because it falls on like the eighth or something like that, or the eleventh. But you know, this year it fell on the fifth, so which is fine. But um, so it was last weekend. I got like my five main dudes with me, and then plus a couple other guys. And, um, I had already filled my tag, but, you know, we're hunting with the boys and we're all out there to, you know, get some big deer on the ground, you know? So it's like learn some country and find some, you know, good bucks. And we ended up going down and hunting some acorns and I put two of my buddies on watch and three of us went down to sit in the oaks and then we were going to still hunt these oaks over to my other two buddies my one friend saw 19 deer before we started still hunting by 9 30 and the other one saw eight so we were and then um my friend ross and i we grunted in two four pointers on the way in and uh, we saw some deer stop grunted them that was pretty cool they were raking the leaves and acting all tough and <laughs> that was fun so sat down in the oaks um did the still hunt uh one of them guys saw a good glimpse of a buck but didn't end up getting them so that's how the first morning half of that morning went on saturday we saw you know like five deer or whatever and then we did another hunt where uh two of us went down 
towards another town and actually put a mile and a half of woods between us. And we just still hunted this flat that had oaks on it and the deer piled off it. We, we think by the end of the day, to wrap that day up, we saw, we think, 45 to 55 different deer that day, which is, which is crazy. But like what I'm talking about, they're just yarding up. And we saw seven different bucks. It was like five or six spike horns. And then um, like two or three, two and a half year old bucks. And one of them got killed. So that's how our Saturday went. But we all, we were like halfway through the second hunt of the day. And my friend and I were on the radio. We have these garments. We can see each other. You know, we're moving through the mountains. We were like, I know where I'm hunting tomorrow. I was like, tomorrow we're going to come in here and kill a absolute giant. I was like, I just feel it. I know there's going to be deer in here. He's like, yeah, I agree. So <clears throat> the next morning, this is Sunday, last day of season. We set up myself, my buddy Austin, Griffin, and Tyler. So there's four of us, and then two of them went and walked all the way down the river, got out in front of us and started hunting it. They didn't start hunting and to us until 10 o'clock. It took them from 7 a.m. to 9 to hike down to like hike down quietly to where they were going to start the hunt. They had a mile and a half land between us. As soon as he started hunting this way, he had caught a glimpse of that really big double browed 10 pointer. That was, you know, big 130 inch deer. And, um, buck went running out through, he didn't get a shot. And then, so they're still hunting out. Um, we all were seeing a couple few does feeding and stuff like that. And so now the deer's all in between us and we're super excited because we all know it. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, here we go. There's like a big deer between us, you know? And, um, so, uh, there, an hour goes by and we're still just kind of watching some does feed around. All of us are, we're all kind of seeing some deer. My buddy, Adam Ross, we call him Ross. He shot a really nice eight pointer, which was that other good sized buck. He was cruising up through um, some beach whips on the edge of the big standing oak. And he just basically, those deer just came walking out in front of him. There are just so many deer down in that one little area. We just kind of caught a pocket of deer in there. He shot that one buck. It was with another two and a half year old six pointer. He said would have scored like 80 inches, which is a respectable Adirondack buck. And then they were hunting along. I don't know if it was the shot that scared him, but. Um, all of a sudden I looked down this ridge and I was actually making like a little short clip. And I was like, uh, I was just, I don't know. Sometimes I'll just make a short clip about, you know, Oh, oh it's Sunday, last day of season. You know, we're seeing some deer had a good morning set so far, you know, just kind of like something you would see on a hunting channel, just me making a funny video and I'm making this one video and I have it on my phone and I looked down and all of a sudden that big rack buck came out to me. He's standing down there with the doe. Anyways, he takes off running and he goes down and, and my buddy Griffin, um, I don't know if they winded me or whatever, but my buddy Griffin ended up shooting him. He was running out towards like the last hunter and then all of a sudden took a hard swing to the right and Griffin shot him at three yards from him. The deer, he thought he was going to run him over and he came up and he pulled up. All he saw was brown. He just shot and, and he went like 20 yards and he, and he piled up. 
So within like 10 minutes, two big rack bucks got shot. But we, we say like to think we saw probably 25 deer out of that hunt, different deer, because just counting which way, you know, which direction they headed and who saw what deer and stuff like that. About five bucks in that one hunt, which is like, I'm talking about late season strategies and, and why I've killed all my big bucks in late season. I think, you know, just the whole, I go back to the migrating and the migratory runways and just the the winter weather bringing them out of the mountains you know i think those bucks are looking for those last does and they know where all the does end up going and they remember when they were a little kid their mom bringing them into town or all these other deer are so then they all end up in these big in these food sources down you know closer towards my town and I think we just capitalized on that that day. So yeah, and the food with the the oaks being there is obviously king, and and what you know brought those deer in from all over, from the sounds of it. Absolutely, absolutely. But all those spots that I mean, I've hunted down there a lot, and we just we didn't get in the line. As much as it sounds, we didn't get in the line and just drive them to each other. Like each of those spots, I have you know a couple of them I have stands set up on couple of them are spots that i've sat for 10 12 years that you know uh, my one of my best friends fathers showed us a couple of these spots like we were strategically set up to where we knew these bucks were going to come out to us and stuff like that so we definitely put our knowledge into that one and plus just figuring out where those deer were that weekend and it paid off for sure what if um what if a, a a guy or or a girl that was going up there to to hunt and they were by themselves what what would you think a strategy would be for them um from that standpoint you know I mean I could go pretty far into this you know obviously I'm someone that likes to do a lot of e scouting so if I was said person I would be looking for some big chunks of state land um that are that look more remote than others, you know, because <clears throat> remoteness is, you know, getting away from other people is, is, uh, what I like to do. And I, I think is good, but, um, finding these dirt roads where these state lands are where the state land is. And, um, you can also find like for someone who's maybe not comfortable with venturing out and doesn't have a Garmin or GPS, find uh state land trails. And, um, you can get on these different trails. They're well-marked trails. DEC keeps them clean cut for them. I would go up and, and this is really hard in the Adirondacks, but try and find a food source. If you can know what an oak tree looks like, you find a good stand of oaks, look for the, the deer runs coming in and out of the oak trees. And for, for people that don't know what like runway or deer runs are, I I've heard some people ask me like, what are they? They're, they're trails that are beaten down into the earth that you can tell the deer are on and they're usually in between bedding and food. So if you can get on those deer travel them a lot of the times between morning and night, I would recommend just, you know, if you're coming up to the Adirondacks trying to find a deer trail or cross a deer trail that um, looks like it's heavily used um areas of wetlands in the adirondacks like swamps along edges of swamps can really be good for um for finding those deer trails you know deer use swamp for um, protection and bedding especially bigger bucks and you'll find some you know usually some rubs around there um if you know what a finger is um i know that's kind of like a a term for someone that knows you know 
talking about maps a lot, you know, like a finger or a saddle, as you'll hear Bowen talk about a lot in his podcast, um, between two um, mountain peaks or two higher areas of ground. Those are really good areas for cruising bucks. Um, I find a lot of deer sign, a lot of buck sign in um, what I call feeder streams, which are streams that come out of mountains um, that are some that are in between saddles or in valleys and low points of these mountains you'll find a lot of deer activity in there and then i use feeder streams a lot of times to sneak up in the areas of land because the the, the water the noise in the water can cover your um get that downhill thermal the whole time yeah thermals yeah. you can walk in the water you know and then when you're heading up those streams you can, you know, a lot of times when you're heading up a mountain, your deer trails and your deer lines and the way they, they travel is on the topographic lines. So you'll be crossing those um, said deer trails that I'm talking about. You know, this is just for somebody, you know, I'm generally speaking, if you're coming up in the Adirondacks and you see a, a piece of state land, you know, look for those feeder streams, walk up them, uh, look for your deer trails. Sometimes like I'll, if I'm in a new area and I get on a, a deer trail that's heavily traveled and it's like, holy smokes, you know, the, I'll just follow it, see where it leads. It's, it's going to lead to food or more bedding. Cause that's, you know, that's all deer do is, is, is bed, you know, feed and try and keep from being killed and to repopulate, you know, it's, you know, you got to simplify it down and think like that. How I know much, I overthink it a lot. How much, but. how much weight? put on sign i haven't heard you mention as far as rubs or scrapes or anything do you do you look at that much as far as like trying to figure out if a uh, mature deer is in the area or have that in absolutely i absolutely i um i do a lot of when i i kill my biggest bucks by myself and the guys i hunt with generally we kill our biggest bucks by ourselves um so i don't want people to think that we're always just hunting in, in parties or whatever but I hunt a lot of times on deer trails in the Adirondacks that have scrapes on them that are on the low side of doe bedding areas and in between food and bedding, um, you know, in between food and bedding um, on deer trails that have, you know, community scrapes or regular scrapes on them because, you know, just like, you know, someone like Bo would know or some more experienced hunters. A lot of those bucks like to travel the downwind side of those bedding areas. And if there's those runways that are on those downside, you know, areas of the bedding, they'll lay scrapes to see where those, see what does are coming through those areas. And they'll also wind check them. And I'll, I'll see a lot of bucks, you know, sitting on in those types of areas. But to answer your question, yes, I hunt scrapes. And yes, I put a lot of my cameras on rubs. Um, you've heard of, uh, the buck I killed tracking this year, he, I found him and killed him a week and a half after I got him on camera for the first time. I had had cameras in the area for three and a half months and I had his, a camera on a uh, signpost rub, which is a tree that, um, that same buck will rub year to year to year, but also multiple other bucks will come in and rub year to year to year. And it's usually on a runway that's, that's traveled and, you know, on box loops and traveled by a lot of does too. So, you know, it's interesting. Signpost rubs um, were something I've always noticed, but I didn't put a whole lot of thought 
too. Until people started bringing it to light. Yeah, and 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 yeah. Pil- and but I mean, I always knew that the the relevance of them, but not until I ran cameras on them because I've never taken rubs into a whole lot of account because I found areas that hold really big bucks that don't have big rubs. And mm-hmm. but I've also found that if you do have signpost rubs, that's a, a very good travel area. And when I've r- ran cameras on them, I got I have a cell camera on one right now that yeah. that even though that they might. Maybe one or two bucks will hit that rub during the year. There'll be a lot of deer that travel next to it. It's kind of like Absolutely. a communication hub, almost like you would find a community scrape. And they, yeah. they utilize that. And I know from interviewing Hal Blood, you know, he talks about those a lot. And when tracking, and he'll go to those signpost rubs and then try to find a, a track. And they'll work that elevation line. Yeah, I remember hearing your podcast with him, excuse me, um, about how he'll like when he's going to track one, he'll just hit those different signpost rubs, and and I've heard him say that on other podcasts too. So yeah, I, I don't put, I don't go around finding rubs and putting cameras on them. I I put them on those signpost rubs that are on heavily traveled runways is what I do. Deer trails or runways, same thing. That's that's what I mean when I say that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it took it took me a minute to to figure that out. Deer trail yeah. runway, yeah, same thing, <laughs> same difference. Sorry, guys. Hope I didn't confuse anyone. No, you're you're good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Wes, is there anything else you can think of as far as that you think would be helpful um, for anyone? Obviously, it's gonna. This is not a. Uh, this podcast is not meant to. You're not going to listen to it and go up and kill kill buck in the Adirondacks, but you know, giving yeah. someone a good place to start. You know, is is there anything else you want to leave everybody with here? Um, I just want to encourage people to um to not be intimidated by the big woods and to um just if you have a desire to want to do that big woods type of hunting, to just do a little bit of research. Um, which New York state, like I said, is good with on information for state land and where you can, um, park and camp and stuff like that. Do your research and just go for it because I'm someone that, you know, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, um, you know, didn't grow up in a hunting family, you know, parents didn't hunt, grandparents didn't hunt or whatever. And, I've had the opportunity to hunt Tennessee, Arkansas every year since I was nine years old, but places like Tennessee, Mississippi and down South and stuff like that. I honestly have no desire to hunt anywhere else in the big woods now. And it took me until I've been hunting up here since I was 10. I didn't kill my first mature Adirondack buck until, um, I think it was, uh, six years ago, five or six years ago. And I'm 27. So that was, you know, I, I made, I just went so many years of wandering around this park and making all the mistakes. And yeah, I had to do a lot of learning that maybe other guys, you know, fathers taught them and stuff like that. But, you know, the Adirondacks may seem big, but it's not that it's not that big and it may seem impossible to kill bucks, but you can do it if, if your heart's in it, because, you know, anybody can do anything if you try hard enough. And if I can do it, any of you guys listening, who want to hunt big woods deer can do it and um you know keep listening to people like Bo because i i listen to podcasts that he puts out, that he puts out and and a lot of other people every day on my way to work and you just have to soak in information and um 
you know, learn from each other. And that's the fun in it is challenging yourself and not just going out and sitting in that same box blind on your, you know, grandfather's farmland, you know, you know, if you have an itch to go out and hunt the big woods, do it. And um, if there's anything I can do for any of your listeners, if you guys want to get a hold of me and you have any questions on areas to hunt and where to go look up here, there's there's six million acres up here. I'm, I'll help you, you know, point you in the right direction. So I want everyone to have a good time and and uh, hunt the big woods because it's very, very rewarding once you do make it happen and get one on the ground. Yeah. And, and what you said there too is like, you know, how it took you so long. And I think any, all of us can can relate to that, you know, me included, as far as how long it took to, to be able to get that to happen. It's not, it's not a short, this isn't like a bucket list type thing. It's something that you have to look at as a journey and it's going to take a while. And look, I mean, you know, it took you that long to do it, but you've been on a roll with it and now you've been consistently been able to to kill mature deer. And, And I think that's, that's such a, a, such a good point is, no matter if it's the Adirondacks or anywhere else in the big woods, it's, it's going mm-hmm. to take time. You can't get frustrated. You just gotta just keep putting yeah. in the time and, and learning and, and doing, yeah. you know, take, even if you took, you know, one thing from this podcast, you take something from somebody else and then you have 10 of your own personal experiences and you apply all that together and you create your own hunting strategy and your own way of looking at it because everybody's a little bit different. You know, the way you would hunt Wes will be a little bit different than the way I hunt and the way that the next person hunts. And that's, that's cool about it. You get, you're able to do, you know, create your own method and, and, and thoughts behind it. So I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I literally have to credit, you know, people like you and, and everyone else, since I was young and started having an interest in hunting, you listen to people that, you know, have different theories about things and you read different articles and and listen to different podcasts and you have to soak everything in, put it in perspective, bring it into the woods, apply it. And then, and then from there, see if that works for you or not, or put your own twist on the thought, you know what I mean? And, um, that's, that's how I think I've become the hunter I have is just, time in the woods and you know listening to people that you know may know a little bit more than you or may not but you'll what i've learned is that you'll always learn something from someone you know yeah even if they know a lot less than you you know but they hunt you know florida or or alabama or something like that you know and like i hunt big woods but i can learn stuff from the seek one guys you know what i mean that hunt you know urban woods and you hunt out of a saddle with a bow in the big woods. And I spend probably 90% of my time sneaking through the Adirondacks. You know, I'm always on the move, just looking for deer and looking for bucks and sign and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, we all learn from each other. And I, I think that's, what's so great about hunting is we all care and we all want each other to have success and we learn from each other and that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And it's, it's inspiring for anyone that's listening. Cause I feel like I do get a lot of listeners that, you know, didn't grow up in a hunting family or didn't have that and that you can learn it. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's so many resources out there now to help you with that learning curve. And then it just takes your own sweat and and work ethic to, to really put the pieces of the puzzle together. And, and uh, we'll still be learning, you know, when we're, 70 75 years old hopefully absolutely yeah <laughs> right if we can still hunt we'll, 
We'll be telling stories at some local diner at 5 a.m. every morning drinking coffee. That's what I hope to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, so, Wes, where, where can everybody uh, find you at if they wanted to reach out questions or check out your guide service? Like, where can they find that stuff? So if you want to find me, I, um, I don't have a website. Um, I don't guiding is something I do part-time now. Like I, we talked about, I'm a construction worker. I, I did do guiding full-time. So you can find me on Facebook at Labar Guide Service. That's just L-A-B-A-R Guide Service. And I'm also on Instagram. And from there on Instagram and uh, Facebook, I have links to my um, my email, but you can also just shoot me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I don't know how many, I've booked so many hunts just through Instagram DMs, <laughs> like at least four or five hunts. Um, I, I definitely, I, I leave some room for guiding, but I leave a lot of room for myself. Um, like I said, I'm not out to take on every hunt I can, but um, if I can take you on, I will. And if not, I can, um, I have other guides that, um, and guide services that I can highly recommend for you guys. So, but that's Labar Guide Service. And my name is Wes Labar. You can reach me on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I really appreciate it, man. I've, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and it's just cool that you, uh, asked me to come and share a little bit about the Adirondacks. And I, I hope to have you uh, come up sometime and so we can show you around here. I think that'd be really cool. That would be, that would be incredible. I'll definitely uh, have to hit you up on that. Anytime, man. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.